0: You are listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So I'm curious with a number of our ladies gone at the women's retreat this weekend, how many of um, you dads got your kids to church solo here this morning? Yeah, some of you. uh, Gold star for you. Absolutely. I remember the first women's retreat that Jamie went on when we had little guys, and I was so glad that she was able to go. It was great. But I remember psyching myself up for the reality of getting my kids ready for church by myself and thinking through, okay, how's that going to work, and what do I need to do? And I remember laying out their clothes the night before, and I mean, just doing all this stuff to make sure that I could pull it off. And then inexplicably, inexplicably somehow my alarm didn't go off that morning, so I slept in, and I work at the church, I was a pastor then, and so I needed to get to church, it wasn't an option for me to go late, and so I'm rushing around trying to get my kids ready, and my poor kids, you know, my daughters, I got one of her dresses on wrong, and didn't know it, so she went to church with her dress on backwards, my son, His hair kind of looked like mine, and I kind of, you know, styled my hair up. His was going everywhere. I thought, okay, he's good. I don't need to comb his hair. And, you know, we piled them in the car. They're, you know, they're half-dressed, and we get on down the road, and our church that I was at during those days had three services as well on Sunday morning, and so it was gonna be a long morning for them, so I got them all dropped off at their classes and stuff. Well, I forgot to give them breakfast. You know, because I was in a hurry, right? And I thought, okay, well, how hard can it be? You know, in my day, all we had was dirt. And we played in that dirt, and we traded that dirt, and we gave away that dirt, and we ate that dirt, and we were thankful. And we went to school in the snow, uphills both ways, you know, what's wrong with you kids, right? My poor kids. But someone was pointing out to me, with the story that we're going to look at this morning from the Gospel of Luke, it's it's kind of a bummer that so many of our ladies are gone and not able to hear it, because it's the story of Mary and Martha, and yet this isn't... Just a story for our ladies. There is a profoundly significant message in there, but this isn't really that kind of a story. It's a story about discipleship. It's a story that applies to all of us because in the arc of what Luke is doing in this part of the is he's showing us what it means to follow Jesus, and he's beginning to give definition to that with the stories he's telling us. If you'll think back with me just a couple of weeks, when Sean preached through the end of Luke chapter 9 and going into Luke chapter 10, Jesus makes these incredibly powerful statements. You know, the guy comes to him and says, you know, I'm going to follow you, and, and Jesus says, well, you know, foxes have holes, and Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, which is kind of weird. But the point was, it wasn't weird, the point was, there is a cost. If you're going to follow me, understand there's a cost to it. And then remember, the next guy comes to him and says, well, you know, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go bury my father. And Jesus, again, says, let the spiritually dead bury the spiritually dead, basically. Which, again, seems kind of weird, but again, the guy wasn't providing an explanation. He was providing an excuse because if his dad had really died, he wouldn't be there. He would have been with the rest of the family preparing for you know, the funeral and everything else that was going on, so what he was saying was, well, let's let us let my dad die first, and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says, no, the priority is to follow me, even sometimes over what your family wants. Now, that's not to say we neglect our families, but it is saying Jesus is the priority. And, and then again and again, he's, he's making that known. And then if you remember in chapter 10, he begins to give his authority and power to the disciples and sends them out so that they can bring the kingdom just like he has been. And then if you were with us last week, in the story of the Good Samaritan, it's so powerfully illustrated what it means to love other people the way God has first loved us. And again, the question in the Good Samaritan, if you were with us last week, to remind you, it isn't who is my neighbor. The real question is, who will I be a neighbor to? Will I make life all about me? Or will I define my neighbor as the few who are like me? Or will I define my neighbor the way God defines my neighbor, and that is everybody around me? Those who aren't like me? Those that don't like me and are my enemies? That's who I am called to love. And now this week, we have another amazing, powerful story. And again, for many of you, it's very familiar. The story of Mary and Martha, even for folks who aren't, um, don't read their Bibles or necessarily Bible literate, if you want to put it that way, they have at least some familiarity with Mary and Martha. And we're going to dive into this amazing story again. And what I want you to watch for is what does this story tell us about discipleship? And really, what's better when it comes to discipleship? Sitting at Jesus' feet or serving in the name of Jesus? Well, we're gonna answer that as we look at this text together. So if you have a Bible, turn it on. If it's a tablet or a phone, or if you're old school like me and have a hard copy Bible, turn to that. There's just a handful of verses here that we're gonna read, but it's Luke 10, verse 38, where we start. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So as we always do, let's enter the story and begin to peel back the layers of what's going on here. It tells us in this opening verse that it was Martha who opened her home to Jesus, and that's significant because it infers this was Martha's home. She probably owned it. Martha is probably the older sister, but at the very least, she is the responsible hostess. She is the one who is responsible to see that Jesus and the guests are honored. And so she's cooking for about 16 people. The disciples, Jesus, presumably Lazarus, her brother, and then Mary and herself. That's a lot of people. Let me put it to you this way. What if right after the service, I came up to you and announced, the elders and I and some of our wives are coming over to your house today. What would you say? (laughs) No, right? (laughs) But let's say that wasn't an option. We're coming. If you are the cook in your family, male or female, is that some work for you to pull a meal together for 16 people? Yeah. It's a lot of work. Now imagine you're in the first century without any of the modern conveniences we have for cooking. All you have is a clay stove. You've got to build a fire for it, and that's what you have to prepare a meal for 16 people. Commentators are divided on whether Martha and Mary had advance notice that Jesus was coming or didn't. Doesn't really matter. Whether they had advance notice or not or whether Jesus and crew showed up and the work had to be done, the bottom line is the work had to be done. And it was a lot of work and it was a big deal. And so as Martha is doing all this, what is Mary doing? Nothing, according to Martha. But actually, Mary is doing exactly what she should be doing. Because in part, in ancient Near Eastern first century culture, if an honored guest came into your home, it was unthinkable that you would not spend time with them, that you would not talk and interact and be with them. That was just as important as all the preparations that needed to happen for the cooking and the cleaning and everything else that went along with that. But Jesus, as we saw from what we read, commends Mary for what she's doing because she's sitting at his feet listening and there are so many layers to this. This is so profoundly significant. Luke has been very deliberately painting a picture for us in his gospel of people who are on the outside of God's kingdom, presumably are the ones who are actually entering it and living it out. In the story last week, a Samaritan of all people is the one who is loving the way God calls us to love other people. An enemy of the Jewish people is actually the one who is loving the way God calls us to love. Beautiful example of loving your neighbor and defining who your neighbor is. But in this story today, we are seeing what it means To love God. Mary is is showing love for the Lord because she's listening to him. And in the original language, this isn't just casual listening, it means she is hanging on every word with what Jesus is saying. But what's even more significant is her posture because this speaks volumes. She is in the posture and the position of a disciple. You literally sat at your mentor's feet. You literally sat at the feet of your rabbi in order to learn from them and glean from them and become their disciple. But Mary is a woman. That did not happen in first century culture. Women were largely illiterate in first century culture and they were not formally taught by rabbis. It just was not done. What is Jesus doing here? He's elevating the value and status and regard of women by making them disciples. This is an unbelievable statement in this short little sentence here of what's happening. Mary is being discipled, and she's not just an example for our ladies. She is an example for all of us. She has positioned herself to hear from the Lord. Do you do that? If you know and love Jesus, do you regularly position yourself to listen to him, to hear from him, to be in his word, to commune with him, to respond to his spirit in your life? Because as we've looked at before, there is a big difference between hearing someone and listening to them. Some of us as spouses have to learn that over and over again. Some of us as friends have to learn that over and over again. Some of us as siblings need to learn that over and over again, really in all our relationships. There's a significant difference between hearing someone and listening to them. Guys, for those of you whose ladies are at the women's retreat today, when she comes back today and she is excited and sharing with you her interactions and her relationships and what Jesus taught her and what the speaker had to say, are you going to hear her or are you going to listen to her? Big difference. And because knowing God is about a relationship, it's not a religion, it's about a relationship with Jesus, We need to do exactly what Mary is modeling for us here, and that is we need to listen to him by spending time with him. So once again, do you do that? And if we can be honest with ourselves, isn't that difficult at times to do? We live in a culture where there is so much coming at us. It's not enough that we're just busy and have stuff to do and have full lives and have full calendars, but now we have these electronics that we're constantly connected to. We have this social media that's constantly beckoning to us, constantly calling us to, to be online and in demand and available and posting and you know what have you. It seems like more than ever, it is profoundly difficult to position ourselves to listen to the Lord it's a challenge and at the end of the day the reality is the work has to be done stuff has to be done and Martha she gets that and man Martha she's stressed out Freaked out and frustrated, right? And now she wants Jesus to get involved. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Jesus, you need to fix this. Make her help me. And what we can gather from this is that Mary isn't doing what she's supposed to be doing. In fact, sometimes Mary gets cast as Well, quite honestly, being lazy and selfish. Kind of, you know, letting someone else do the work. And I know this never happened in your home growing up where you felt like one of your siblings wasn't doing their fair share, and certainly you've never had to do that with your kids, had to mediate that, and this is kind of amusing really because now she's turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, make her help me, make her do something, right? And it's almost like what may have happened in your home and happened at ours at times with the way Jesus responds, You know, sometimes in your home, you're not worried about justice. you're worried about peace, right? And so, Life sometimes isn't fair, and sometimes siblings don't do their fair share, and sometimes as parents you're asked to step in and you go, well, you know what? I'm more interested in peace. You be quiet and you get back to work. You know what I mean? It's, that's not just, well, that's right, and it kind of feels like that maybe with Jesus here. He's more interested in peace and quiet than justice, but that's entirely not true. For starters, this infers that Mary was actually helping Martha, where she says, my sister has left me. That implies that Mary was helping at some point, but she did stop helping her to sit at the Lord's feet, and how does Jesus respond when he's asked to get involved with this? What do you suppose the tone was when he said Martha's name twice? Which, if you follow in Scripture, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when Jesus repeats someone's name, there's always deep emotion connected to it. In Luke chapter 13, when he is crying and weeping over Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. There's, there's emotion there. So what is the emotion that's here? We don't know entirely for sure, but we do have some clues because of this. Does Jesus ever declare what Martha is doing is wrong? Bad not productive, not helpful. No. He doesn't criticize it. He doesn't judge it. He doesn't condemn it. Not at all. So what was his tone here? Was it frustrated? Martha, Martha, get a clue. Or was it Martha, Martha? You just, you're never, you're never going to get it. Was it scolding? Was he chiding her? Well, he wasn't shaming her, but he was correcting her. But he wasn't just correcting her. Watch how he responds to her. He's inviting her. What does he go on to say? Mary has chosen what is better. In some translations, it says Mary has chosen the good part. And what we need to be really careful about here is Jesus is not saying, Martha bad, Mary good. Not at all, but he is saying this, that time with him matters. He needs to be a priority in our life. Okay, so he wasn't with Martha? Well, in this specific instance, let's look at this. What should Martha have done differently? That's a reasonable question. He is correcting her in all fairness and he is inviting her into time with him, so what should she have done? not made the meal, not done the preparations? Well, surely that's not it. So what should she have done? Should she have turned to Jesus and said, you know, Jesus, I heard about you doing this miracle thing where you took some loaves and fishes and fed thousands. Can we, can we wrap that up again? Can we try, roll that out again and do that? Let's give that a go. Let's give, should she have said that? Well again, it's so very important and that's why we always wanna be very deliberate in how we equip you to read God's word for yourself which you are fully capable of. You have the same Holy Spirit that I do as, as does the rest of the preaching team. But one of the fundamentals we always have to keep in mind is context. What is the context? What was going on? What was being spoken to in that moment? Well in that moment we're told in this picture that Luke has been drawing for us that Jesus is on his way ultimately to Jerusalem. And what is awaiting him in Jerusalem? The cross. Time is short. He is not going to be with them very long. And so yes, in that moment, in that time, the priority wasn't the preparations, it was to be with Jesus. Could Martha feasibly have done what she was doing and listened to Jesus? Assumably so I mean we know in the architecture Of those kind of homes There was a common area there And that's where they all were She was cooking and making the preparations Right there with Jesus I think this was less about what she was doing And more about her heart You were frustrated And worried about many things And this is so instructive for us We need to make Jesus a priority in our lives by spending time with him. So we surfaced this question earlier in terms of are you listening to him, so are you making time for him in your life? I mean, to your credit, you're here this morning and this is absolutely part of that, but what about in your day-to-day rhythms? I mean, many of the devotional materials that are out there, not all of them, but many are written towards the folks who have time in the morning to start their day with the Lord on a consistent basis? That's great if you're a morning person. That's great if you're a disciplined person in terms of you have this rhythm daily that you can fit that into, but what if you're not a morning person? What about the different seasons and stages, seasons and stages of your life? I mean, have you ever experienced in your time with the Lord that you're in a season of your life where you think you've got it figured out, and then things change, and then you got to refigure it out. How I spent time with Jesus, how I prioritized that time with Him, looked very differently when Jamie and I first got married, to when we were in the survival years of little kids and weren't sleeping, to when we had um, kids who needed to go places in the taxi cab years of they can't drive but they need to be there, and then to these young adult years, and you know on and on and on, and it seems like. I've had to reinvent what prioritizing time with him looks like in my life on a regular basis. And the same may be true for you, I don't know. But this is what I do know, is that Jesus made time to be with the Father. Luke very clearly makes that known to us. He emphasizes Jesus' prayer time many, many times, distancing himself from the crowds, getting up in the morning. But it wasn't just mornings. In fairness to you nighttime people, It was at night, too. In Luke chapter six, it says he stayed up all night praying before he chose the disciples and made that profoundly important decision of who his inner circle was going to be. So we make time for him. And some of this is driven by personality, and that is okay. You know, what's really interesting to me is being married to a a certified um, health coach, is Jamie is scheming about writing a book someday, and I I will help her, but she'll get all the credit because this is her idea, but one of the realities just in how you and I exercise or are involved in fitness is driven in no small part by personality. By way of example, the reason I exercise, the reason I I, um, pay attention to that and focus on that is I'm very goal-oriented. You give me a goal, I'll make it happen. That's what motivates me. My wife is not wired like that. My wife is wired relationally. And in her, in her fitness type, she likes to work out or do fitness or be active with someone else in relationship. That's why running together works so well for us. Because we talk and, you know, all of a sudden we're done and we've exercised. And we have these bends with just how we exercise. Could it be that we have personality bends with how we spend time with the Lord? And what would that be like to continue to discover that but to have more focus in discovering? I don't know. Maybe the book's already been written. Maybe it will be written. But the idea is this. Whatever that looks like for us, we've got to prioritize that time with him. We need that time. Jesus needed that time. We need that time with the Father as well. So let's come to the next question and the one we started with. So what's better? Sitting at the feet of Jesus or serving Jesus? And the answer... Yes. Yes. What's the better thing? Discipleship is the better thing. Because sometimes this gets construed, once again, as this false dichotomy with, this is more important than this. No, they're both important. That is the point here. But it does start with being with Jesus. When we went to Israel a couple of years ago, and we were walking up this this canyon in En Gedi, which if you'll remember, for those of you who have your Old Testament frame of reference, that's where David fled from Saul for a number of months. He went into En Gedi, which is this little oasis. There's a cave set way back there, and we actually got to see what they think is the cave where David hid out um, from Saul, and he was there a number of months, but as you walk through the canyons of Engedi, up at the top of these canyons, there's no way you could ever climb up to them, you'd have to be lowered by rope down to them, are these caves. And for a number of centuries, a group of people known as the monastics, what they did was they had someone lower them down into these caves, and that's what they did, was they spent time with Jesus. That's all they did, was live in these caves. They'd lower down food and provisions to them and take out whatever needed to be taken out, but they stayed and, and they lived there for their lives. And, and that's an extreme example of what this isn't saying. This isn't saying we separate ourselves from people because Jesus didn't do that. The early church didn't do that. Yes, there were seasons of that, but that's, that wasn't the focus. I think for many of us, this isn't the extreme we need to be careful about, the Martha bent is what we need to be careful about because what I would assume is that for many of you you're busy you have been dropped into this going doing busyness culture that we all live in and it's profoundly difficult to make time to listen to God and that's why one of the reasons why we're doing this prayer retreat on a Saturday of all times for half the day, to gather together here to pray as the church and to listen to the Lord is so we can, we can sit at his feet and hear from him. And I hope that you'll get a chance to be a part of that. But it's not just about sitting at Jesus' feet. It's also about serving. Discipleship always involves action. This is what the early church did. If you look at Acts chapter two, it says they met together and they broke bread and they praised God and they worshiped and they hung out and they celebrated. Yes, they did all those things, but they also served. They told people about Jesus. They met needs in the community. They advanced the kingdom. Yes, we serve, we give, we tell, we do as part of worshiping Jesus. So which is better? Yes, both. Do you realize that's why we've designed our worship services the way they are? One of the reasons why. We have three identical services because hopefully, ideally, you will come to at least one of them. You're allowed to come to more. But you'll come to one of them and you'll sit at the feet of Jesus and you'll... You'll learn from him and you'll grow and you'll be in worship and you'll experience the work of the Holy Spirit that only happens when we gather together like this, but then it's our hope that at some point you're going to serve as well. That you'll worship at one of our services and then you'll serve within the walls of this place at one of the services. And that you're gonna be serving outside the walls of this place in some way shape or form, because following Jesus is about sitting in his feet, but it's also about serving other people. You know, we have a, a, a card that's in the seat backs in front of you called a serving with grace card. We have that always there, deliberately so, so you can have a number of ways to serve the Lord within the walls of this place. We designed the journey with the same mentality that for a season, on our Wednesday night program at The Journey, you'll go and sit and, and take in, but then other seasons you'll serve. And you'll join with those who are serving on that same night. We've deliberately built that rhythm into what we do around here because it's both and. And if we can be honest on a couple pieces here, number one, as your pastor, I will tell you there are times you should not be serving because there's a crisis going on in your life or you're in a season of life where you just don't have the bandwidth to do so. You have these other things that you have to tend to or you're in crisis or difficult, that's totally understandable. But if that season ultimately becomes a lifestyle where you are never actively serving within the walls of the church, then that is a problem I would submit to you. Because at that point, you are a consumer. You come and you go. And that's not okay. And you are not gonna grow as a Jesus follower and we're gonna miss out because we don't have your gifts and your involvement in your community here. So, so it's both and. But there's something else that's embedded in this story that we need to be attentive to and it's this. We need to remember that God is good and that he cares. Did you catch what Martha said to him? Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself. Folks, that is not a good day when you or I accuse the God of the universe as not caring. Do you remember back in this series when we were looking at Luke chapter 8 when the disciples were out on that boat in the Sea of Galilee and the storm came and Mark chapter 4 which also tells the same story, gives us a little more detail. And when they woke Jesus up, how did they wake him up? Do you remember what they said to him? Don't you care that we are about to drown? And do you remember from that story, it seemed like Jesus was a little cranky, they interrupted his nap in the boat? But that's not what was going on at all. Should they have woken him up? Absolutely. Should they have accused him of not caring? Absolutely not, and that was the problem. God is good, and yes, he does care. But one of Satan's favorite tactics is to get you to question both. One of the evil one's favorite tactics is for you to look at your life and to look at your circumstances and define God's goodness exclusively by that. Because the reality is you will come at a time to your life where you will struggle and you will hurt and you will be in crisis and you will have difficulty and it will feel like, based on your circumstances, God does not care and you absolutely cannot give in to that. And that's where Mary's heart, excuse me, Martha's heart begins to go. Jesus, you don't care. Yeah, he does and there is a message here. I think there is a message here for all of us but I think too for our ladies. A number of you, you are the hub of your family. You are able to spin a lot of plates because God has wired and gifted you that way and you do so much to keep your family going and so much of it is mundane and boring and maybe unappreciated or unnoticed. And this could apply to all of us, male or female. There's those things we do that we feel like, man, does anybody care? Does anyone know? Does, Does it matter? And it does. It matters to God. It absolutely matters to God. Let me share this with you because Sean shared it a couple weeks ago to end one of his messages. When I need some perspective about this, this is one of my go-to verses. It's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 in the New Testament. It says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He is not talking to vocational pastors like me. The work of the Lord is the work of the Lord. It is the work that you do in your daily lives as an act of worship to him. It matters. Even the things that don't seem like they matter, even the things that are mundane and boring and difficult at times, they matter. The bottom line is that our doing cannot come at the expense of our being. That's that's where this is going. And Luke, the master storyteller, leaves us with this. How does the story end? Jesus invites Martha to listen to him, to be with him. In that moment, to stop doing and to start being. How does she respond? We don't know. The story's unfinished. But this is what we can know. What is your story? How will you respond today? Will you invite the Lord to speak to you? Will you listen to him? Because as the worship team comes now and as we respond to this amazing God who loves us, who's so patient with us, who rather than scolding and shaming us invites us constantly back to him to spend time with him, to listen to him, to connect with him. Once again, that invitation is here for you. We have communion tables off to the side. Remind yourself what he's done for you. We have prayer teams who are going to step forward. Come over to them and pray with them. But this is your time, your place, your space to worship the Lord and spend time with him. So let's do that. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the incredible example here with Martha. Instead of scolding her and shaming her and criticizing her, you invite her. You invite her to be with you You invite her to sit at your feet. And Lord, that same invitation still stands for us today. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are good, that you care, and that you love us. We seek you now. In Jesus' name, amen. And we love him because he has first loved us. And he is the God who invites us time and time again to come to him, to sit at his feet, to learn from him, to live with him. We don't know how the story today ends, but we do know how the story ends in the big picture. In the gospel of John, right after Martha and Mary had just lost their brother Lazarus, Jesus is coming back, and in short form, he will raise Lazarus back to life, although Mary and Martha don't know that yet. And Martha's the one who runs out to him. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I hope that you do, because Martha did. Because Martha did listen to Jesus. And so as we go from here, once again, he asks you, he beckons you in the rhythms of your daily life to listen to him, to spend time in his word, to respond to him, to trust him, to believe him, because he's good and he cares. Let me pray his blessing over you as we go from here to be the church. Jesus, we go from here to be the church by loving you and by loving other people, and we can do this because of how you have first loved us. So Lord, would we respond to your invitation, despite our busyness, despite all the distractions and things that we necessarily have to do in our daily lives, would we take you up on your invitation to spend time with you, to be with you, to listen to you. Thank you that you are good and that you care and you empower us to live the very life that you call us to live. So would we believe you for that as we go from here? In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen. So go and live for him. Thank you for listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.